All right. Here with Rod Lima. Well, do I call you Rod or I call you Rodrigo? You're, you're, uh, That's a great question to start it off, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to call somebody by the whatever they prefer, right? So, look, man, I'm, uh, I guess, Latin kid growing up in Pittsburgh. Rod was a lot easier, uh, so I just went by Rod instead of Rodrigo. I typically go by my, my actual name now more, Rodrigo. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I'll call you Rodrigo, though. But I'm so, I mean, listen, it's been... Uh, we were yeah. just talking. I mean, it's been 20 to 30 years-ish. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always knew you as Rod, but it's now Rodrigo. Cheers. Yeah, cheers to you, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so, it depends on the circle, you know, but um, in general, and, and I noticed another friend of mine uh, kind of did that too, like where, you know, he, he was from Hungary. His name is Jolti. He's actually a good friend of mine and kind of a little bit of a mentor of mine. And, you know, he, you know, he, he was, his name is Jolti and he was going by Rob forever. But <laughs> at a certain point, he's like, man, screw this, man. I want to be known by my actual name. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so. I get it. But I mean, I have, listen, my name, Adri, nobody can get it right anyway. So I just, I'm like, hey, as long as you're, you call me asshole, it's starting with an A, you're looking at me. I know what you're, who you're talking about, right? So I get it. Um, but uh, yeah, so thanks for, man, for your time coming on the show. Uh, and I wanted to talk to you about a whole bunch of stuff. But really, you know, I've been following you. Yeah, I don't know what it's been. Let's say ten years or more since you started Lime Design, yeah. um, and it's just kind of watch you grow over the years. It's fantastic. I love it. Thank you so much for uh, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. Um, it's been a long ride, man, and um, you know, it's uh, but it's been an amazing seven years, man. And really, I saw things like picking up in the last two three years, which is crazy because. I think uh, so. I work with product development and I work with inventions and helping people take the ideas out of their head and turn them into actual physical products. Right. Right. Okay. And I think people just had a lot of time in their hands during the, you know, obviously people are at their house, you know, thinking more. You have more time to think. Yeah. And so more people were coming out of the woodworks and reaching out to us. And, and I would imagine that, you know, the changing landscape of work probably has a lot to do that. I mean, after after being locked up, right, and, and then realizing, man, I, you know, I've been going to this nine to five job for the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and I'm miserable. Yeah. Like, now I've seen the other side to say, you know, what what am I doing with my life? And I have all, I've always had these ideas. I didn't have time or I didn't pay attention or people told me that, you know, hey, it's more secure just to get that nine to five and, and work for, you know, that 40 years and retire, which we know doesn't actually happen that often anymore. Um, so I love when people take those, you know, w- what you're doing and helping these people take the ideas you know, and take their dreams mm-hmm. and try, try everything you can to make it a reality. I mean, that, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, man. It's so random, too, because, you know, one day you're working on, you know, exercise equipment. The other next day it's an industrial machinery and um, the next day it's a medical. So it's so random. And that I think that's what really makes it fun. And I mean, I can see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Just That's awesome. You know, yeah. I don't know. My dad, um, I don't know. He's a, work, a little bit of a workaholic, I guess. I'd probably take after him uh, a little bit, you know, and uh, yeah. I don't know, man. But I mean. But if you love it, it's not really work, is it? Like to me, I don't, I don't really, I don't see retirement the same way, man. I think, I mean, I think if I really wanted to retire, I could probably do that now. But like, what's, what's, what are you going to do? Yeah. I still have too many years, man. And just traveling is not good. I don't think that's enough. Right. And we don't talk about what I do on this, on this show for multitude of reasons, but I do, you know, or historically I've dealt with a lot of people that are retiring and the, the, thing always is like the idea of retiring 
what you cannot do is sit on the couch and waste away because you'll be dead real quick. You know, if you want to quit your job and go find some and go do something that you're passionate about, that's what you got to do. And that's what I hope that everybody finds in their lives is, you know, we were just talking about if you find out what you're passionate about and you love what you do and you you love coming to work because it changes every day and you don't know, you know, every day it brings something different. How exciting is that? And why would you ever retire? Yeah. And I look at it the same way as what I do. It's like I, I would yeah. never retire. And, and the only reason I retire is of, you know, mental decline or, or physical decline that I could not actually physically go talk to people and do what I do. So, mm-hmm. um, but that's the only way, I, you know. But if you're miserable, I get it. If you go to work every day and you're miserable and you're like, I just can't wait to one day I'm going to sit on the couch and, and waste away. Um, yeah. Hey, I, I get it. But yeah, to yeah. each their own, as they say. So how did you get started? You know, when you and and I'm only know from my perspective. You know, through social media, um, when you when I started seeing that you you started Lime Design, I assume Lime is based off of your last name. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to take the ego out of it a little bit and say, you know, hey, Lime Design. I also thought it'd be more uh, easy to franchise potentially in the future. Is that so is I, that is that one of the uh, ultimate goals? I mean, I want to leave it open to that, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, I mean, my goal is to be uh, established in Pittsburgh before the end of the year, if not in the first quarter of uh, next year to, um, you know, have a facility up and running, a small studio up there with my proto- some prototyping equipment. I would still have my headquarters down here in, in Hollywood, Florida. Um, but look, Pittsburgh is a city of inventors, man. Yeah. We, I mean, it's just always been, man, right? Like. Um, there's a lot of innovation there. There's a lot of the major product development, um, or promotional, well, we call it invention promotion companies, which is not really a product development company where they're more focused on getting you connected with an attorney so that you can get a patent on it and then figure out how to get it out there. Where the big difference between us is that we focus on actually the actual product itself. We're not creating a bunch of marketing materials saying, hey, look, you should do it because of this, this, you know, we're saying once you have a committed idea, we say, okay, we help you figure that out and turn it into a product that you can sell at X pro- at a certain price. Okay. So what about, so if you get a product and there's a whole bunch of that, you know, we're going to be all over the place because that's how this show goes. We just go where yeah. the conversation yeah. goes. Really uh, I do not sit here with like a set amount of questions and I go one, two, three. So, yeah. um, but if I have a product and I bring it to you, you create the prototype and it's something that's feasible in the market. Do we, do you guys do the, um, what am I trying to say? The, the expanded version of that or the manufacturing. Where we're manufacturing, the mass production of those, or do you then pass that on to, or, or license I, it? Yeah. So most inventions, if you are, are a new product idea, right? Like you have two main routes. One is you make it yourself and you sell it. Um, you know, maybe put an Amazon store up or have your own store, whatever, uh, and then try to get it in or, or also try to get it into big box retailers, uh, like maybe a Home Depot or a Walmart. Right. 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 And try to sell hundreds of thousands of pieces as the gold, you know, or millions, whatever of pieces. Um, but you can also try to license it out to somebody where let's say you have a strong patent on the idea. You can potentially find somebody that's more ready to take your idea and run with it. So, you know, not everybody has time to start a company, right? And right. and do the sales and all the, every single detail that's necessary um, in starting a, a company or a new business, you know? So 
those are the two main routes that most people can take, you know, for doing this. And then, so in, what's your, do you help them with either one of those routes? Or do you have connections in the manufacturing and licensing divisions of, of different companies? Or is it just pretty much, hey, we, here's the prototype. Now it's up to that client to say, okay, where can they take it and where can they sell those things? Yeah, yeah. So the manufacturing part, I'm definitely more skilled at and have been doing it longer. And um, the licensing side, I help create tools for these, for, for my clients, such as, um, animations, presentations, um, you know, pitch decks, uh, sell sheets, all those kind of things that they'll need. And I give them guidance on how to connect with licensing specialists. And it's, some, it's, it's kind of like the next level of my company that I'm building up now is because um, I have really good relationships with a lot of patent attorneys and a lot of manufacturing firms. So one of the big steps for us next is going to be to do, um, you know, funding, right? Bringing, helping connect our clients with money. Yep. And, um, and, um, and help it also with the licensing part of it. Right. Because, uh, so those are kind of like the last two parts of the business that we're putting in place uh, right now. Okay. Move co closer to the mic if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so, I mean, it, well, I think it's always, you know, you, you come up with an idea and I would imagine you see this every time somebody says, I got this great idea, but they have no concept of what goes into actually producing, mm -hmm. not only just producing, I mean, so the prototyping is a huge component of that. But then from there, now you've got to market it. Now you've got to either do it, like you said, through Amazon or build your own website, try to get your own traffic to to that site, try to build that clientele, uh, try to get word out there through social media or whatever, marketing and advertising, and it's overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that. So, the, you know, were you, you're kind of at the beginning, right? I mean, or, and I know you want to grow, or it sounds like you want to grow to be able to facilitate most of that curve. But like right now, if I have an idea, I say, Rod, look, I got this new idea for a new mousetrap, right? Yep. And send it to you. You guys basically engineer my idea, I would assume, because yep. I probably have the idea, but I can't draw it out. I can, you know, maybe put some, you know, popsicle sticks together to show you how I think it might work. Yep. You yep. guys engineer it all, then primarily then 3D printed, or is there a whole bunch of different options for, yeah, for the great. prototyping? That's a great question. So typically there's no one perfect prototype, right? So typically we'll do a draft version of the prototype first. And I love when people try to make their own first because it helps us to understand. And I think it also lets them understand how hard it is to actually make a good prototype. Of course, yeah. Anybody can, you know, MacGyver something with duct tape and, you know, hot glue and stuff. But if you want to try to sell that to somebody, you know, or try to convince them that this is the next thing since sliced bread, you know, then uh, it's 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 another ball. It's a, it's another thing, you know. Yeah. But um, uh, we, we so there's when you talk about prototyping, there's two main types of equipment. One is called so it's called additive and subtractive. So oh. 3D printers are basically taking a spool of material or something, and it's adding one level at a time and, and building on one layer at a time. Where uh, subtractive material is like CNC or subtractive machining. It's like a CNC cutter where it comes in, it cuts away from a block of material. Gotcha. Okay. Like if you're doing a, uh, from my mind, what I think about is like if I wanted a gear for a, a specific gear for a machine, I would get a block of steel or aluminum or whatever, yeah. cut that out of there. And then you've got your, 
Um, yep. And then three, 3D printing is fascinating to me. I've never actually used a 3D printer or uh, I think I've seen one up close, you know, and maybe something. Uh, and, you know, kids, some kids have these home home ones that they make little trinkets. But yeah. I would imagine your machines are quite different than what you buy at. Yeah. I don't even know where you buy them, you know, Sam's Club or something like nah, that. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. You have to get them from like, you know, companies that sell the equipment. It's, um, you know, these machines. So usually an amateur machine, like, like you're talking about, like that usually a kid will have in their house is somewhere between $300 and $500 machines. Um, but, and those are great for like tinkering at home and playing around. And they really opens up your kids. I, I recommend everybody to get one now. I think there'll be a, a staple in everybody's homes in, in three to five years, right? Really? Why do you why do you think just from a creative standpoint or I think it's just a matter of time because I think people are I think that's there's a vision for what this machinery can do, you know? And we're always like I mean it always feels like we're always like three to five years away. Yeah, but at course. some point that's actually gonna happen, you know? And we will be able to, you know, if you're throwing a party, maybe you wanna have some plates made for you for that party. And then maybe there's a way to take the old plates from last party and break them down again and rebuild them or something. Okay. Uh, so I see that being more part of our future. Um, I mean, just think about how long, how much it takes to ship something left, you know? Sure. I mean, and actually, you know, what if you could yeah. just buy the file from Amazon or whatever, let's say, or make it yourself. And then mm -hmm. you hit the button, you print it out. You know, right now it takes like 10 hours to make a, you know, a part like maybe a six by six by six part probably takes around half a day. But, oh. you know, in three to five years, that'll take, you know, a minute or two or whatever, right? Because technology exponentially improves. And what about, so if you, just following this train of thought, um, like that makes a lot, when you talk about the plates or, you know, silverware, not silverware, but plasticware. Um, and I always think of a, at least a home um, 3D printer as really just be able to make plastic stuff are there are, are there other materials that can be used in the three because could yeah. you make a a screw or something if you need a specific type of yeah. screw that you didn't have and yeah, out of yeah. metal or so oh, really? metal 3d printing is is you know becoming more and more prevalent in the scene of 3d printing but it also comes with a lot more um like care that you have to take right you have to you have to cook the part after it's printed mm. um so basically the parts they print at, like, say, let's say if you want a part to be one inch tall, there's a sole algorithm that the software and the 3D printer goes through where it makes the part bigger and then it heats it up and it, and it condenses back Contracts down. Contracts down, okay. Because it has to get rid of the binding material that's holding the, it's, it'll, it'll use like a powder and um, that powder needs to be like condensed more. I mean, there's different technologies for metal printing, but typically you need to have like a, like a huge kiln um, you know, when you have to have a kiln that uses a lot of power, a lot of energy, you know what I'm saying? Then you have to have safety because you have to have like, you know, um, like water lines, right? Sprinkler lines. So metal, it's coming, but it's, it's very difficult to do still from, for the average person. Plastic okay. is very easy. It's cheap to, you know, it comes on a spool or whatever, you know? Um, so. Well, I've seen these giant, I've seen videos of them. I shouldn't say I've seen them, but, uh, these giant machines that are 3d bit building houses you seen those it's which, beautiful man which is awesome i mean it that is uh, unbelievable and they do them and I, I don't remember but like a day or something where they can yeah they just have these houses I mean, that's not the whole story you know what i'm saying like i'm sure that right. like the walls can go up in a day or two or whatever right yeah. you have to do the roof you have to still run plumbing and electrical and all that stuff 
Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, for low income, you can do man. And um, obviously, we have a, pr- a problem with housing in America. You know, low. Uh, I'd say affordable housing. I mean, yeah, of course, tons of, tons of expensive housing. Well, <laughs> there's plenty of that. Yeah, not even tons anymore, right? There's there's a Here they go limited market period now, right? Or limited quantities in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they're available, I mean, my gosh, they're going so fast at ridiculous yeah. prices. I don't know what these people were thinking um, from an economic standpoint, but man, hey. I was so pissed. I sold my house for four fifty. The guy that bought it went and put it back on the market for one hundred twenty thousand dollars more. One month. Yeah. One like, month. One month later, man. Oh man, that hurts. Yeah, <laughs> neighbors of mine just did. They lived there for well, it's like two years. And they got $150,000 more than they paid for. It didn't do anything to the house. Um, and uh, well, like we were thinking of maybe it's a time to sell, but where are you going to go? And I yeah. just can't, you know, I know money's cheap, but I'm still not going that much in debt for something that's not worth that amount. I mean, yeah, yeah. I was part of 2000. I don't say we're in 2008, but I do remember, you know. Oh, I was definitely a big part of. I was. Uh, oh, I, I was scarred in two thousand eight. Man, I had two properties that um, I had to lose. Um, it just made financial sense to give them back, man. Um, yeah, you know, everything was so upside down back then. The property that we paid like two or two fifty ends up, you know, being valued at like twenty. It was like ten. It was. It was ridiculous. It's crazy. So, yeah. And what are you going to do? I mean, you have no real choice. Yeah. Um, and it's. It, it was a. It was a tough time. And I don't think it's going to get that bad now, but. You know, as interest rates rise, hey man, you know, prices fall. That's the way it works. You know, money's going. People can only afford what they, their monthly. You know, we're all on this monthly uh, subscription plan, right? So you can only afford so much a month, and as money gets more expensive, yeah. hey, prices are going to come down. Um, I just I'm don't want to get. I'm money. still shopping, man. I'm preparing. You know, getting ready for the next. Oh the well, next that's building. that's smart. Yeah, being prepared. That's that's because it always goes up and down. And when you listen, everybody says we, we all know buy low, sell high. Yeah. In practice, most people do the opposite. So you can see that right now. I mean, so everybody's it, buying high. I think if you look at it in the long term, like you know, if I pay, look, the reality is, if I find a property, a commercial, or real estate, whatever, like a home, and I really like this property, let's say I love the damn property, right? I don't care if I pay fifty thousand dollars more, man, because right. I'm going to have to be in it. 20, 30 years and, you know, somebody else is going to end up paying that down for me before I, you know, and then I'll, I'm, I'm my goal is going to be to, you know, re, refinance that money out of that property probably every five or 10 years or so. And, you know, or, or, and then keep buying it, man, and just keep, keep buying, buying other things. And, um, you know, I, yeah. I was thinking about this cause like, you know, like I just recently bought a property in Hollywood, Florida, downtown, like a 1.5, roughly 1.5 million investment. And it's since doubled in price, man. Jeez, is this but, a is this a commercial or residential commercial? commercial. Yeah, it's it's, so it's uh, not where you are right now. Where I'm at right now, where you oh. see. So this, where you the video you guys don't see the video, but um, this is my office on the in in you know in the first floor of the uh, we call it the SFID South Florida Innovation and Design Tech Hub. Oh, um, so we you have, created that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very cool. So I'm trying to bring innovation to Hollywood, man. Um, you know, I mean, I, love, very, I don't know anything about Hollywood, Florida. Is it? I mean, I, I think that South Florida is definitely like a haven for, for product development and innovation in general. You know, not so much product development so much, but like just innovation. Right. Because it's going to connect us to South. It connects us to South America. Oh, right. Right. 
Okay. I'd say, you know, that's one advantage that my team has. I mean, we can work, we work with our clients in Spanish, Portuguese, and English. And I want to continue to grow that. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about franchising or, or expanding. And, you know, I see myself in the next couple of years having a facility set up in, in Brazil, maybe one in Colombia, uh, one in Pittsburgh. And I don't know where else from there, but those are the ones that are on my mind as, as like, you know, and, and your ideas need to be on your mind all the time for them Absolutely. to be true. You know, you have to think about them because think about how many thoughts you have in a day. You know, if you don't give enough care to those other thoughts, they'll just never go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, we were just, I was just talking last week with uh, Ruben Gonzalez, whose show will be coming out soon, but he, uh, interesting fellow, but we were talking about, um, you know, en envisioning, you know, having that dream. Um, and no matter what people say, you know, because people go, I mean, probably from the start of it, I mean, I don't know your situation, but many people, especially entrepreneurs, um, they say, I have this idea. And you might have a few people that that back you. But a lot of people, whether they say it to your face or behind their back, they're, they're going, eh, Rodrigo's out of his mind. This is never going to work. He's not smart enough to do that. He can't yeah. do this. Um, or, or you get the even worse, which never made any sense to me, is they get jealous, you know, and ho hope. They're not yeah. going to say it to your face, but hope that you don't make it. And then, and then they're, they're kind of pissed off when you do. Um, yeah. Imagine this, man. What do you think the guy who invented the pet rock Imagine the conversation he had with his wife or whatever, right? Like trying to explain this, this great idea to her. I mean, dude, you can have the worst idea, but if you market it right and you put it in front of the right people, you'll get sales, man. But, you know, you have to do your part, you know? And, and That is one of the strangest ones in history, I think, is the pet rock. I mean, yeah. And I remember being a kid and I bought that. I bought some, like, I think I remember I was in, um, I don't know, Massachusetts on a vacation. I remember seeing them for the first time. Where yeah. you go to a souvenir shop and, and you see these little rocks, with these little painted up. And I'm like, I don't know why the hell I thought I was going to do with it as a kid, but I needed it. I had to, you have, had it. to have it. You sit there on your on your dresser. Or the other good one was, uh, do you remember, and maybe this was the 80s, they had the plastic leashes that, you know, that looked like you were walking a dog, but there was no dog. It was just a plastic leash with a, with a collar at the bottom and people would walk around pretending like they're walking a dog. It was the most ridiculous thing, but, but they probably made millions off this stupid thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you see, see innovation and inventions everywhere. You're like, how did any of this ever work out? And the pet rock has to be at the top of that list. And I mean, now there's just so much more exposure for, for the average person. You know, if you had an invention before and you wanted to get it to you know, in front of people, like what were your options in the eighties, let's say, right. You had to do TV, which was expensive and you had to pay for TV time and production. And now you can basically make your own product, make a TikTok on it and grow, you know, let people see what you're doing, create a store, you know, and, and we have people becoming, you know, like successful overnight or, or over, maybe not overnight. Right. But you know, over, over a couple months time, you can become successful. Yeah, if you got the right message, and it's hard, you know, it's an interesting conversation about marketing and advertising um, between, you know, previously in the 80s, 90s, pre-internet, basically, or pre-current internet, I guess, I mean, probably within the last 10 years, um, where people can market themselves with very little money, to an extent, but as a business, if you have a service, let's say, Products a little bit different. Service, you know, you could do it a whole bunch of ways, but now everybody's competing in the same, same space, right? You've got I can compete, I can send my message out the same as, you know, uh, Amazon, right? We have the same 
avenues, but Amazon still has the the, the funds, the research, the teams yeah, the to clicks. just dominate, you know, the pay per clicks and and, and and all the analytics that you need. And, and just that alone, you know, trying to sift through that type of information is a, a full time job. So as a small business, which I, you know, I'm part of a small business, mm-hmm. um, it, or any small business, it becomes overwhelming to say, okay, it, it would be so much easier just to, if I had the money, to get a, a, a magazine ad, right? Which was certainly back in the 80s and 90s much more valuable than it is now, but, uh, or a TV ad. Whereas, you know, now it's, almost, it's very, very difficult for a small company to really compete in that space just because they don't have the, they're trying to sell their products, sell their service. So they need a, you know, then that, or they don't have enough funds to go out and hire a, a firm to do that or bring yeah. somebody in internal. Yeah. Um, so it's almost, you know, I look at it both and I, I go back and forth. Sometimes I think, well, yeah, it's an advantage because we can play in that space, but well, it's a disadvantage because we don't have the resources. So the advantage is that you don't need a lot of money to do it yourself. You need a lot of time and you mm-hmm. need to research and, and learn a lot of the stuff and learn the strategies and all that stuff. And I think everyone should do a little bit of themselves first. And, and like when I do marketing for my clients, like I don't want to do it all. I want to, I want to work with them so that we have things scheduled out, but they still have the ability to go ahead and post some of their own stuff because, you know, but it also depends on the client. Some people don't want to be involved and they want you to do everything. Right. So, so you guys do that stuff too? You guys do the, as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, oh, fantastic. We, we do it for ourselves, man. You know, I learned all the stuff I use is stuff that I've tried on my company first and I've been able to, you know, measure it the best, you know, as accurately as possible, right? The return on investment so that I understand what's working for me, what's not, and I can pivot quickly. So yeah. I know what works for me and a lot of, you know, a lot of the clients, maybe then I won't put all the tools on them, but I'll use you know, I know which ones I, I should suggest, which softwares make sense. And, um, you know, so, so like, uh, what's your, what's your perspective on social media? So if social media channels, uh, I mean, you, what do you have? You've got Facebook, Instagram, it's LinkedIn, the average person to try to do all this themselves. You know, yeah. that's the reality is, of it. Is there one that you would, you would recommend? I mean, if you're saying, Hey, just get started, do some of this yourself. Is there one specific one that you might recommend over another just to get started? I mean, I think it would depend on the person, right? Like um, maybe if you're a little bit older, you're already used to Facebook. Maybe I'd say just start on Facebook. Yeah. And, you know, then I would start looking at TikTok and Instagram. Uh, it depends on the business as well. You know, you, you might want to have a LinkedIn account. So, you know, so I mean, I don't do this. I don't handle all this stuff myself for my business, right? I have a team. That right. Because it's of like. Course. And, and because I because I want to be prevalent in all of the channels, right? Or not all, but the majority of them, right? So Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok. Um, we're looking at, we have a YouTube channel. Um, I'm looking at, yeah. you know, we, we created a Pinterest back in the day, but I think we might revive some of that as well. I mean, I want to go everywhere, man. I want, wherever they're at, if they come, I want them to come to me, right? We want the clients to come to us, right? With of course. Their and their, and um, so... Focusing a lot more on education. I mean, kind of what you're doing here. I mean, you're educating your the audience, right? Somehow, right? On and um, really focusing on telling my story more and and teaching my business model as well. This is what I want to try to do. Well, it's it, it is pretty fascinating. I I, I think so. 
Um, before we leave social media, I mean, TikTok's one that I, I've been <laughs> not getting on board with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know it's, I mean, people hard to talk add about yeah. what's that? It's hard to add another thing when you're already doing three or four. Uh, yeah. And they're almost, to me, they're like the same. They're all similar. I mean, you have a different audience, but um, TikTok's the big thing for the young crowd. And, yep. you know, you, it was Instagram just a couple of years ago. But now, like, they're all Snapchatting. Like, that's what, you know, I see is they're all on Snap. And I don't know if you can advertise on that. I have no idea. I don't, you know, but yeah. um, it just gets, it's so crazy. I mean, besides, you know, just for a small company that doesn't have any funds, that's trying to just get something up just to do a website. You know, there's a, a lot of easy tools out there that you can do. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to really dial in a website is tough. And then you go, oh, my God, now I have a website. I have a product. I have to be in all these different places at the same time. It's uh, And I have no money to hire somebody. Once you get past those, you know, I was because that, that beginning time for me was such a struggle. And it was way longer than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it just sucked. And it was, uh, you know, up to two in the morning trying to figure something out, getting a few hours of sleep, starting over the next day, building. I mean, I learned to build websites because I didn't have enough money to, to to buy one. So I learned how to build one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just overwhelming. But if you can push through that and then you can look back and say, OK, now we have some funds to actually, you know, put towards yeah. marketing of some time, then it's still overwhelming because you go, well, I don't have unlimited funds. Yeah. I only have X amount of dollars. So where's the best place to put it? And there's never a best. No, no. So yeah, you only have so many hours in a day, right? And you have to strategically think of where can that time best be spent? Where where am I going to get the most out of that? Right? So um, we were talking a bit about TikTok and, and, and Facebook and stuff, but I think a Google business is an important one. Get on the Google Maps, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. Right away, get on Google Maps, start getting reviews. Um, that's I find that that was one of the best ways that got me to pull away a little bit from some of my competition because, you know, the average person has 20, 30 reviews or something. I'm at 130 right now, right? Because I'm consistent. I'm, I'm, I focus on delivering quality work. And, you know, you got to go and you got to ask the happy, your happy clients, man. You got to ask them, hey, man, would you mind doing me a review? And, uh, you know, saying, you know, so... You, I, that's an easiest way to do it. You want to like register your business, right? And have them send you the card. It, there's like a code on there that you have to input into Google maps and it lets you register with Google as a registered business. Mm, okay. And then the, the ads are huge. You're right. Because if I go on, if I search something, Google comes up and there's the maps and there's yeah. one with five stars and one with zero stars. I automatically gravitate to the one with five stars. Right. Right. And you look and you know, often people look at the worst ratings first and, you know, of course. Also, right. So, you know, where is that where, uh, so where do you find you get most of your clients from these days? My, through my relationships and through my marketing, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, it's not one thing. It's hard to say if it was one thing, but, um, I have great relationships with uh, patent attorneys and trademark specialists. A lot of referrals from them. Yeah, and then we refer heavily back. And I think that's, you know, that's what makes good business, man. You know, you send me a lead, I'll send you a lead. You know, yep. I'll send you two leads, man. And maybe you don't give me a lead this year, but maybe next year you send me somebody or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, I think it's it's just about that creating that that professional rest, you know, um, step back and forth of sending clients and, you know, like I expect when I refer somebody, they're going to treat my client with, uh, or my friend or whatever with white gloves, man, because, you know, that's how I'm going to treat them when they come 
you know, mm-hmm. time. So, and don't bullshit them. You know what I mean? Because that's where I, I, I preach this. And if I, you know, I don't know, sorry to anybody who listens to the show that hears me say it almost every show, but the transparency, honesty, do what you say you're going to do. If you don't do something, don't say you're going to do it. Right. Don't try to be everything. Just this is what we do. Um, treat everybody with respect and be transparent about, you know, whatever fees, you know, markups, commissions, if it's asked, you know, yeah. how, do, how does your pay schedule work? Be honest about it. Don't don't yeah. don't try to bullshit with people because um, I don't want that. I want my 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 reputation is based off of trust and transparency. Right. And so if I'm giving somebody to you or you're giving somebody to me. I would expect anybody, you know, in that referral club to treat, treat my clients the way I treat them. Uh, you know, um, and sometimes that's lost. Sometimes you find out after the fact, you go, well, we're not referring you anymore clients. <laughs> and, and the reality is not every project is perfect. Not every no. referred is referred, turns into a client. Um, you know, but, but, you know, you gotta, the intention has to be, has to be good, right? It should be or it's taking care of the client, helping them get to the next level that they're trying to get to. Absolutely. Um, so what caught you in, uh, what spurred the idea of Lime Design? So I, I guess it goes even further, right? We, we, you started asking me what got me involved in this stuff in the, to get go, in the get-go. And I don't know, man, I think, okay, so growing up at Fox Chapel, we had a really good school system, right? We had a good art, it, more, more than that, we had, a, I think, a really good art program there. We did. And um, Mr. Frank, do you have Mr. Frank? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, I wasn't spending my time just trying to do, I, you know, I was, really wasn't as focused in school when I was a kid. I don't know, man. It just, you know, that even in college, I didn't, um, wasn't super focused. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, you know, but, but being there, they make you experience those things. So I had to experience, you know, it's where I first started thinking of things and then making them, right? So you have to sketch something out and then you have to make it. And that's the same, you know, that learning how to do that was ultimately later what helped me get to what I'm trying to do, what I do now. Right. Okay. Which, which at the end of the day, the reason I got into what I'm doing is because I, I used to be frustrated that I couldn't get the ideas out of my mind and into a way that I can visualize them and see myself and then be able to show somebody else. Right. Um, you know, you can sketch or if it's a rough sketch, you can't sketch. I, I couldn't sketch super well. I couldn't, you know, and that frustration kind of, I don't know, that kind of was always there, you know what I'm saying? Cause, um, you know, it's just something I never spent a lot of time learning how to do in the past. So kind of like, um, kind of learned it almost not by accident, but you know what I'm saying? You learn it by trial and error and just, yeah. yeah, yeah. Through some of the arts classes. And, but I think ceramics is probably one of the most powerful and less ex- least expensive ways on learning how to get or ceramic or like any kind of like dough putty kind of thing that you can, form with your hands, right? Mm-hmm. Like the old Play-Doh. Yeah, we used to yeah. do that. And I was in ceramics class. I made an ashtray, of course, when you yeah, were supposed to make an ashtray. <laughs> Ashtrays, bongs, all that stuff. Right? That was like, <laughs> as long as they don't see it, you know, yeah. wink, wink, uh, get away with it. But um, uh, yeah, I don't remember. I made a couple. But, um, but just the act of thinking in your mind, okay, what does it look like? And then being able to transcribe that onto paper is a very powerful skill, man. It's the power of visualization, right? Really what it is. And from there, then you can refine much easier on paper through sketch than, than if you had to make 10, 10 clay pots, right? It's, it's faster to sketch out 10, 10 designs first and picking the one that's the best 
than making 10 and then picking the one that's the best. Of course. So it's a very powerful skill, man. But anyways, um, so I kind of learned it through, through a little bit through school and, you know, through Fox Chapel. And then later through, uh, I went to FIU uh, for business. I was doing international business. And I always, always did some kind of an art class to go with the rest of the workload to, to wasn't so boring. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. I want to just yep. learn about accounting and I want to do something that's, you know, cause it feels like fun. It feels like it's, it doesn't feel like work when you're doing stuff like what that. You're doing like accounting. You're right. Yeah. Go from accounting to art class. It's right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, man. And then, uh, one day I was actually, I was in Pittsburgh visiting for the summer while I was at FIU in Miami. And I walked by the Art Institute of Pittsburgh and I saw inside the window and I, I just saw the coolest shit they were working on. Um, they have a, they at the time had a special effects um, team that or, or, or they had a lot of, they, they taught a lot of special effects there um, for like masks and creating stuff out of latex and all this other stuff. Oh, okay. Um, I don't even know if the school's around anymore, man. I know a ton of stuff happened and they got discredited or something, which blows because you know, I paid, I don't know, man, at the time it was like 40K to go to school there. And then now for the school to like lose their accreditations or whatever, it's kind of like, it's, it's ridiculous, man. You know? Yeah. I know they, yeah, they, I think, I know they moved from the location that they were on right down the street. I don't know if that was Liberty or, and then they moved and then I, I think they're gone, but yeah. uh, it's a bummer, you know? So Waterdale's gone. Like they closed it down completely. Oh, really? Yeah. And then, um, so there, there's actually not, like a really good industrial design program anymore from what I know of in South Florida, uh, you know, for true industrial design product development, you know, that's a shame. Yeah. I mean, it's such a big, uh, I mean, future of anything is really product design, industrial development. It's, uh, I, I can't imagine. I mean, there's gotta be, I'm sure that in the country there's gotta be specialized programs, but in the country, yeah, but not in South Florida, not so in Florida, in South Florida, huh. you'll get like uh, there's a lot of graphic, UI design, um, mechanical engineering, electrical, you see those things, but you don't see a school that actually teaches the true product development, product design. Wow. And uh, yes, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of this is engineering, right? I mean, it seems, yeah. Did you have an engineering uh, background at all or just playing around with stuff and figuring it out? It comes from taking things apart, man, and from being like, you know, hands-on, right? If you... I don't know. It also it definitely came from being curious and taking things apart, right? Because when you take apart a motor or something, you learn about a ton of different mechanisms that are all smashed together into that one machine, you know? Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of levers and, and pivots. And I mean, it's just a lot of stuff that all those pieces that you have working together. And even when the machine doesn't work, when you put it back together, you still learn, right? How things come apart, what kind of screws. I mean, you learn a lot. Yeah. It's unfortunate that a lot of times it doesn't work after you, but I remember I had this. So as a kid in the eighties, they had this robot. I don't know if you remember, it's called Omnibot 2000. So this thing was the, like the most advanced robot of its time for like a consumer. It had a control, it had an arm that could extend at a tray where you could put drinks around and it could pour you drinks. Um, you really? could talk through it. It could go, you know, at two different speeds. It was, it was just very cool. But mm-hmm. one day, a few years later, Omnibot's just sitting in a corner somewhere. And, you know, being the kid, I'm thinking, oh, I could take that apart and give it legs. <laughs> oh, man. So I took it apart and rest in peace, Omnibot. He never made yeah. it back. But, uh, but you know what? I mean, the, the mechanical skills 
is fascinating to me because I never had it growing up. I never, um, I never did anything mechanical. My father was not mechanical. He didn't work on cars, um, work on machinery. I was never around that or even little things around the house. I mean, you know, growing up, I could then change a light bulb. I could actually change electrical systems made sense to me. So I could, you know, change light switches and put a fan in or a chandelier. But other than that, until I bought this stupid house when we were flat broke, um, that turned out basically needed gutted from the ground up. And we spent years Mm -hmm. and just, you know, when you pull something apart, it becomes, you, you, it becomes non-magical anymore. Cause a lot of things you look at, you just go, that's just magic, yeah. right? I don't know how they do it. So if you don't know how it does, it's obviously magic. Like a car running it, to me was always magical, but until you start, I used to, you know, I uh, was able to change brakes and change oil on a car until you realize that, oh, this is just mechanical parts and here are the, they work together. Yeah. It, then you say, oh, this makes sense or plumbing um, <laughs> starts to really make sense. You have such different times, man. You have to remember that when we went to school, we didn't have uh, an iPhone with friggin' every single thing that you need at your fingertips. Yeah. We didn't have that, man. We were in school in 93 or 90, you know, early yeah, 90s. Early 90s. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, our cell phones couldn't do those kind of things back then, you know? Like, no. falling and playing Snake. You know? Snake was so, the best <laughs> graphic ability we had playing Snake. You were lucky if you had a cell phone. I mean, there was the pagers. You know, a lot of people had pagers. Dude, what an amazing time that we live in, dude. It that, was right now. It, I'm saying, right? Yeah. Even back then, but but for different reasons. You know what I'm saying? Right. From back then, it's because you know everything was more analog. You know, and there's a, there's a there's a tactileness to everything. There's a you know you have to. I don't know, man. I mean, when's the last phone number you remember? I mean, we everything was just so different. You know what I'm saying? You had to use your mind differently. And, uh, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. It was, and it, you know, it's interesting because you talk to people about any generation and people go, oh, we lived back in the day when, you know, we'd be outside all the time and we had the best, we were the last of the best generation. You go, no, no, no. It's just different. You know, I mean, we, yeah, we had like my kids don't go as outside as much because they have so much entertainment. Uh, you know, whether it's video games, whether it's their phone, I mean, they're they're but that's how they're growing up and people want to shame them. Look at these kids always on their phone. Like, no, you just don't understand what they're, I mean, they're the kind of the guinea pigs, but that's going to be their, their generation. And if you, you know, I, you know, as a parent that grew up without that part of you says, well, you shouldn't be doing that because I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is, is if you're holding them back from their phones, you're, you're holding them back from their generation and what they're learning. And it's, uh, it's almost a shame. And we go through this all the time. Do you have, do you have kids? Do you have no, any no, kids? No. Oh. Two, two dogs. Two dogs. Perfect. I, I mean, I have two dogs too. They're just human. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting concept that, that parents are so, and it's been going on for generations, right? I mean, your parents were, Oh, you guys are so lazy because, you know, we were out there in the fields not your parents necessarily, but yeah. you know, we did all this and you guys have all those luxuries. You have TV, you know, with three channels on it. We never had that. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny. It's funny to watch, but, um, so coming out, so you go to school, and then did you work anywhere or did you start Lime Design? Yeah, yeah. So I traveled a lot. I mean, I went to a lot of different schools first before I was like, you know, really. Uh, okay. So right out, of, right out of Fox Chapel, I went to Australia for a year. I did oh. uh, six months out there at Northern Territory University. 
part of it was just like, you know, my parents always like, well, I'll send you to school wherever you want to go, son. I'm like, let's see, let's see how, let's see how willing they are to actually do that, man. You know? And um, I actually was, went out there cause I was chasing a chick that I met in Brazil like a couple years before, but couldn't get the timing right. When I got there, she was already dating some other dude. But oh was, man. I still had to go, man. I couldn't back out. It took no. me to set that shit up to just, oh, well, she's with somebody. I was like, fuck it. I'll go out there. Excuse me. I say, right. I'll go out there and I'll, I'll, I don't know, I'll just find some other ones. I don't give a damn, you know? <laughs> but um, it was an interesting time, man. So I went to Australia for about six months. And, you know, I've always, like, smoked weed a little bit. And my parents did not like that. They're very, you know, Baptist uh, raised. And they raised me Baptist. And, um, you know, so I'm over there and they knew I was smoking and they stopped my funds. So basically they stopped oh. making money. I'm in, I'm in Australia I can't really get a job because I don't have a, I'm not allowed to work over there. And it was quite, it, it was one of those things that they didn't know what they were doing, man, but they were preparing me for the world without knowing what they were doing. Um, they thought they were just giving me a difficult time. Like I wouldn't have money. I'd still be able to eat, you know, cafeteria food, but I wouldn't be able to, um, you know, thrive or whatever, or do what I wanted to do. But uh, I ended up like selling a bunch of my clothes, a bunch of my stuff. And I, I thrived, man. I had the best trip ever. And um, so when I got back from Australia, it was really cool because uh, if you go through the student travel agency, you can come back from, it was Australia, Fiji, New Zealand, um, Hawaii, uh, back to uh, LA or something like that. And it was an awesome trip, man. The whole time without any money, with very little money, like limited money, trying to survive and get back home. Yeah. You know, and like, it's amazing what you'll do when you have to do it. You know what I'm saying? I literally remember selling, going into places and selling my, my soccer jersey, like my Brazil soccer jerseys, you know, to get like 50 bucks so I can pay for the room and then go out and have, you know, some food and, and meet some people or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. But what they taught me, man, was like how to thrive under extreme conditions, but they didn't know that, you know? <laughs> so, That's a, yeah, it's it, a great lesson. Yeah, it was really good, man. It, and I didn't know it back then. I was really pissed off back then. <laughs> <laughs> sure, right. Because, you know, my parents had money, man. You know what I'm saying? I was like, what the hell's going on here? But, um, but they turned me into an animal, bro, you know? And um, that's, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I think they turned me more entrepreneurial than ever because if you have to sell something to somebody, man, you know, which is yep. what we do every day, you're selling your service, man. Yep, for survival. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, dude, it was awesome, man. And then, um, so, yeah, so I went to Australia and then uh, ended up at uh, CCAC Community College for six months, just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, in between schools or whatever, trying to get a couple credits there. And then I moved to West Virginia University, which at the time was the number one party school in the country or whatever. So that was like the foggiest two years of my life. Didn't learn a thing, but had a fun, had a blast. Yeah, right? yeah man, it was a good time. But, um, you know, it also taught me that like you know, business by itself is not enough without the passion behind it. That's mm-hmm. what it taught me, right? Because like you can teach me all the theoretical, and all that stuff, man. But unless like for me anyways, man, unless I start a business and run my head through every wall that comes in front of me, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's too hard to just take the theory and just say, oh, I got it. You know, you got to actually do it. And um, there needs to be a more like, you know, applied, uh, you know, I think when, when they teach stuff like that, I think it would just be better if you just, all right, day number one of business school, we're going to start a business. Yep. Right? But they don't do that, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, they teach you all this stuff. It takes forever. And the reality of it is they could probably, what you need to know, maybe give you a quarter on it, you know, or I guess one semester, 
pack it all in and say, okay, here's basic accounting. Here's, but you got to go out and do it. And for me, that's everything in life. It's yeah, like yeah. this show. I don't know what I'm doing, but I figured one day I'm going to start this podcast. No idea what I'm going to do. I don't know where it's going to lead, if anywhere, but yeah. I could think about it for years uh, and never do it. Right. And that's a lot of people get, I'm going to read the book on how to change the light bulb. Uh, you know what? No, just go change the light bulb. Maybe right. you get electrocuted. You're probably not going to die. I'm, I've been shocked a few times, but, um, you know, I'm still here. Uh, but that's the only way that most people, I think, know how to do it. And listen, when you talk about starting a business, you hit the nail on the head. Starting a business is one of the easiest things you can do to actually start the business. Right. Yeah. It's some paperwork. Yeah, file your paperwork and hey, you've got an LLC or you know yeah. whatever whatever structure you want to create, but making the business work, you know, and everybody wants to be the overnight, and they don't realize that you know they probably look at you. They go Rodrigo Lima, he he owns Lime Design, hey, that guy's an overnight success. And meanwhile, they don't know the seven years of. Yeah. just struggle and doubt um, and thinking, oh man, I mean, I don't know about your story, but if it's anything like most people's story, anything like my story, uh, how many times I thought about just quitting because it's so much easier to quit um, and going, but how miserable would I be for the rest of my life and in 10 years or 20 years from now looking back and saying, you you dumbass, like right. you, you gave up on your dreams or you gave yeah. up on what you wanted to do. Uh, and whether, you know, listen, everybody's focused on money. Money is important to an extent, you know, when you're in survival mode, like selling your shirt because you need to pay, that's a whole different scenario. Yeah. Once you get past that and there's not necessarily comfort, but you know, it, when I realized that it was comfort, when I went to the grocery store and I wasn't, uh, counting, you know, the, the price of everything to see, make yeah. sure I had enough money to pay for it. That was like, okay, I can buy what I want, not have to think about it. Mm -hmm. That's when I said, uh, I'm comfortable. I'm not, you know, what, what is rich, How wealthy? How many yeah. years was that for you? Oh mm -hmm. man. How many years have you been doing this? Eight years? Well, no, it's been, I mean, till I could, till I could really feel comfortable. You right. know, there was ups and downs when I started my insure. I, I, I think I can talk about that. But when I started my insurance company, I, uh, that was, that's feast or famine, you know? So there was good times. And then it's like, uh oh, time to uh, go by back to ramen noodle and white bread again. Mm -hmm. But um, it took, what. took about eight years till, um, and I, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm where I want to be. My dream is still way far out there. Right. I, and I hope to always have a dream that I'm never going to get to. Uh, because I don't know what happens if you get to your dreams. I would imagine. You said it. Yeah, right. You got. So my dreams are are way out there in the clouds somewhere. Nice. Um, but I keep just taking these little little baby steps. Uh, yeah. You ever? You know, uh, what was that movie with? Um, it was called What About Bob. Did you ever see that movie? What yeah, About yeah, Bob? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I live my life like baby steps, right? Just oh, kind of shuffling, hopefully in the right direction. I don't know where I'm going, but yeah. it seems to be working. Um, I think if you enjoy what you're doing, it makes it so much easier, man. I mean, because then it's like, well, if I do what I love and, you know, let's say I didn't make any sales today. It's not a, it doesn't feel horrible, man, you know? Yeah. But when you go, I don't know, man. I mean, it gets horrible if it's at the end of the month and you need to pay bills and all that stuff. It gets heavy on us, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur and whatever, CEO, making sure everybody's getting paid, you know, because... You know, if it's one thing that I've always prided myself in is, you know, I don't owe nobody nothing, man, you know? Yeah. So, and do what you say you're going to do. Do what you say you're going to do. It's huge. 
Now, what about failures? Like starting out, what were your, what were your struggles? What kind of struggles did you have? I, I took, it's almost like smoking cigarettes and trying to quit cigarettes, man. You know, it doesn't happen on the first shot usually, right? right? Like I remember I smoked cigarettes back in the day for a long time. It took me like several times to stop it. But if you, if, if you, you quit quitting, then you're going to be smoking forever. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> you eventually, you know, fight it and find different tricks to help hack your, your, your mind to, you know, to do something, then, then it's, it's a lot easier, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a support group, I mm-hmm. think is, is important for a lot of people. Not everybody. I don't know that I had, um, I had some support, I think, but there were certainly people in my lives that, yeah, you know, yeah. were just not supportive. Uh, and I get it, you know, because it was rough on them as well. But, um, did you have, did you have a great support group or was there people so, in your life that, that's such an important statement that you just said there, man, because, you know, like, so I've been trying to run, I've been trying to open, so I, technically I have Radius Design Consultants LLC is like the main name of my company, right? And okay. I opened that in 2008. And um, it took me until 2015 to actually go full time with it. So it actually took about seven and a half years. I did it in the summer of 2015 is when I went out on my own. And this is after 10 years working for two different companies, three different companies and um you know you just it's not all it's not necessarily going to be on the first shot man you know like i would like let's say i i, I switched job or i got fired from one job right and then i started working for myself for a couple um you know for a couple months and then another job opportunity comes up and then i switched to that so that kind of pulled me away from my goal but all all your needle needs to be due north man in your mind you have to always be thinking of how to go back to center, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And focus on your dreams and not just building other people's dreams, which is okay. You know, I think it's important to know how to build other people's dreams as well, you know, because they'll help you get further as well. You know, they will. And, and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with being the, you know, if you have the mindset, cause I think my guess is it's an 80, 20 split among a populace, any populace that you have, you know, whether you call them worker bees or whatever, the people that are, you know, running the machines that are pressing the buttons, if you will, to make sure things work, but they're clocking in and clocking out. They get a steady paycheck. They're comfortable with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, sometimes I think as on, on, more entrepreneurial spirit, a yeah. lot of times I, I hear people putting down people that, um, and maybe I've sounded like that before and I never meant to, but you know, through these conversations, you listen back, you go, ah, that's not really what I meant to say mm-hmm. or what I meant. Um, but the um, those work. There's nothing wrong with having that, but having the understanding that if you're that person, you'll never understand the entrepreneurial spirit of somebody whose brain's wired that way, and yeah. kind of vice versa. You know, I, I I don't understand somebody whose passion is I I just want comfort and going for you know, go get a steady paycheck. I just will never understand it. Um, unless you're working for a company that you love and this is, you're really passionate about it. But yeah, a lot of people I've met aren't really passionate about their jobs. You know, they can't wait till five o'clock rolls around and, uh, they, it's not everybody that sells toilets is going to love selling toilets. Right. Very true. There's services that the world needs, man. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, there's, there's a, a balance that you can, you know, I, I did a video the other day. It's called don't quit your day job, right? If you want to be an entrepreneur, don't quit your day job because that 
that you're what you're the, the money that you're making in that other job this is what allows you to create this other position for yourself doing what you do want to do right you sometimes and we don't always know what we want to do is right as entrepreneurs absolutely people in general right so it's all right to work for somebody else for five ten whatever you know figure it out figure shake it out so you really know what you want to do and then you now you have you know some money coming in so that you can actually do something because if you just quit and you got to like you know build a business it's just the pressure so much more and the chances of failure, I think are also so much higher, you know? Yeah. I mean, when you can't pay your bills, I mean, it's the, the pressure gets real. Yeah. If you, uh, you let's know. say if you have a girl, you know, she's, you're going to be fighting with her all the time because you don't have, you're not making enough money right away. Right. So mm -hmm. unless you save enough for like a year, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quit my day job, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, but then you have, and like you said before, but there becomes this balance of time. Yeah. Where if you really want to start your own business, it's very going to be very difficult yeah. to work a nine to five job and then spend your off time. And I'm not talking about a side hustle. Yeah. I'm talking, you know, which could turn into a business. I get it. But for a lot of people, they're like, here's the business that I want to start. Well, like we talked about before, you got to spend 15, 18 hours a day trying to just get all the pieces in place. So it becomes overwhelming. And then, you you know, it could lead to a burnout where you're like, forget it. I'm not made it. I, I can't handle this. There's too much on my plate. The nine to five just seems easier. Um, yeah. So I get both, both, both sides of that. Yeah. Uh, and it's fresh. So important, man. Like you, you were, you were, you were touching on that before. And in, you know, when I was younger, um, when I was, I was divorced, uh, married and divorced back then. But um, when I was younger, like, you know, I didn't have that support. You know, like it was easier just to, and my significant other, she, she was just saying, you know, no, stay with your job, keep your day job, basically. She, but, you know, I don't know. I knew I was always meant to do more. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I've always wanted to go out there and start my own thing. So, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if somebody cages you in, you know, it's like when you start a fire, you got to kindle it. You know what I'm saying? You can't, if you smother that or if you don't give it enough fuel, you know, it never goes anywhere. And then, you know, I was... I don't know, the most I ever made, you know, working at for other people was, you know, 50, 60 K and I'm able to sell a hundred, a million in sales today. And imagine if I never did this, you know what I'm saying? Like you'd be miserable and how much longer it would take me to get to where I'm at right now. Yep. Exponentially take me longer, man. You know, if you even ever got there. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, and it's a huge point. And I, I mean, I can't stress it enough to people that maybe are living with some because it's almost like a, a like a disease, right? Entrepreneurship for like, you know, it's it's like a mental disease. Um, and you know, I was I was talking to a friend of mine not too long ago, John Nelson, on this show. We were talking about mental disease, and um, that was one of the, that was an amazing show, by the way. Very courageous gentleman, man. I'm, I, he is. He like is. Next time I'm in, is he in Pittsburgh? He, he, uh, no, he's in Philly now. He's from Pittsburgh, but he's in, uh, Philly. Um, and I just talked to him. He had, uh, he was talking about his brain surgery that he was having. He had that. Hopefully everything, I mean, everything turned out well with the surgery and certainly I hope it works for his, and I plan to have him back on. Hopefully he'll come back on if he wants, cause I want to follow up with that conversation. But you know, when I thought I was thinking about that conversation, um, you know, he was talking about the, 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 um, the, the way people perceive mental disorders, right? And I almost thought, I started to think about entrepreneurship to that 80%, if that's the correct number, I'm making it up, but 80% of the population, it's like, these people are out of their mind. You know, this, what's wrong with you? And trying to explain to somebody 
that doesn't understand it, that you have to follow your dreams and money isn't the, the most important factor, right? I mean, money's, I, I think money's important for freedoms, but most entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that I know, they're not doing it just for the money, right? They have a passion. If you just do something for the money, you know, maybe you get rich, maybe not, I don't know, but it, you probably aren't that fulfilled. But if you're doing something because you love to do it and then money comes, that's even better, right? I mean, that that's nice. Uh, but trying to explain that to somebody, it's like, this guy's, this person's out of his guy or girl. They're out of their minds. Uh, and and it's, it's almost impossible to... Um, to explain that to somebody uh and it's it which makes it difficult if you're if you don't have that support group like you were talking about with the fire uh yeah, I think you have to be stubborn and you have to have a little bit of that addictive personality man you got to be you know and, and you have to be highly risk averse man um, mm-hmm. i heard that of all the people that try to go out and do their own thing that only a third of them are actually able to succeed i believe it you know yeah uh, it's it's incredibly difficult, and it's the failures that I think are are what uh, separate, because failing sucks. But you hit it on you know you you were talking about it earlier. I mean that it's likely the most important part of education is yeah. going out there, hitting your head against the wall, going ouch that hurt, but I got to get through this wall. So let's figure it out. Um, you know once you hit your head against the wall. Once a lot of people go, I, I don't think I want to do that again. And that's why I think that entrepreneurship is it's a mental disease because you're like, okay, I'm just going to keep hitting my, my head against this wall till I break through and maybe I get a concussion. But uh, hey, I'm, I'll take that risk because I need to do this. Um, it's, it's just very interesting to me. And that's why I love talking to entrepreneurs about, you know, how did you get here and what, yeah, yeah. What, what was that driving force? Did you, as a child, did you, I mean, I, you're talking about being, artistic and, and liking that idea of of creating did you ever think that you were a kid that you wanted to own your own business or anything yeah, along I, those lines i had no idea i mean my i i've always kind of like construction building things because my granddad helped taught me some stuff and you know i was always kind of hands-on and i liked building stuff myself um so that definitely helped but you know i don't know back in the day i used to think i would be cool to be an architect and uh, that's kind of so I'm actually still very cl- close because architects were technically the first industrial designers or architects because there was nobody else to do it back then. You know? Yep. But um, yeah, man, um, somebody actually dissuaded me from doing architecture. Uh, I don't want to get into it, but and um, I, I'm actually glad the way I'm really glad the way everything's worked out. You know what I'm saying? I'm very happy, man, with my business. And, uh, you know, more than that, like I've. I've kind of like grown my, my, my business model, you know, where before I was just, there's different levels to the game, right? Of course. So level one, you get a job, right? Level two, you get a job and you open your own business. Um, level three, you open a job, like level three, you, you, you start, you go full-time for your business. I'm just kind of talking it through, right? Yeah. I don't have this written down or anything, but like, Level four is where you have your business. I buy a building under one company, like my first design office, let's say, and then I rent that office to Lime Design. Mm-hmm. So now I'm creating an asset under one company and I'm creating um, write-offs in the other company, right? Yep. So that's, for me, that's level four, man. And then for me, level five now is buying a bigger commercial building that I can run my company out of the bottom and I can run, rent out 20 offices 
so that this building is again doubling in, in value and and it has you know money coming yeah. every month to, to cover the majority. yeah tenants paying your uh tenants yeah. paying the mortgage yep so like that's kind of like that's really the business model that like i prefer man and that's because it's not enough just to work for somebody else if you gotta you gotta maximize i think you have to maximize like your you have to have a strategy to maximize you know and, and reduce the amount of taxes through you know using the laws doing everything legally you know what i'm saying like instead of paying taxes at the end of the year i'll buy a car under the business name and i can write that off you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. stuff like that and that's how you equip yourself that's how you if you want to start your own business that if you want to be you know um i don't know let's say you got a w-2 and you get uh you do um i don't know you work at a factory and you make 50k a year or whatever it is and you want to start your own business as soon as you start that own business, you, you start t- being able to take write-offs that you weren't allowed to take before. So I recommend everybody have a business from the day you're 18 or whatever you're legally allowed to have a business that they should have from the very start. Um, so you can learn these tax-saving strategies, right? Um, but it ends up being that, you know, I've done some math and roughly speaking, if you want to start a business today, today, you can get like a good 20 K from the tax savings that you are, you you're having over, you know, over a year or two of business, you're getting a tax savings of roughly 20 K if you write off things correctly. So the money that you were paying uncle Sam, you're just keeping that and you're buying machines for yourself. You're buying computers, laptops, or, um, you know, uh, a car, um, you know, your cell phone, all those things, your marketing expenses, all those things, um, are write-offs for you, and that comes back, and it, it now it doesn't allow the government to write, to tax you on so much anymore. Now they can only tax you on 30k a year instead of 50k a year, and over a couple years, that's you know that that becomes th- those savings over 10 years time is 100 200 thousand dollars. So there's your Lambo, or there's your down payment on a new property. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or there's that hundred thousand dollar machine that you need to put into your shop so that you can make twice as much next year, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm sitting here quiet because I'm not allowed to talk about what I want to talk about because it falls right into my business. And there's so many um, compliance issues I have to deal with that. I don't, I don't, I don't talk about them on the, on the air. You're certainly allowed to talk about them. Um, But, but you're absolutely right. You know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity and it's interesting in today's world because people that don't understand the way that taxation, and I have to be careful about what I say. I don't think I, I'm not saying anything over the line. Um, but through corporate taxation and, and write-offs and how corporate, you know, as a business owner, um, you know, what is actually considered income. Um, again, I have to be a little bit careful, but we can use somebody like Elon Musk as an example. You know, people will say, well, Elon Musk, you know, he didn't pay taxes but he has $380 billion or whatever it is. And you go, man, hold up a second. You, you don't, you're not even paying attention to the way that taxation works in this country, and most countries for that matter. Um, you know, especially, you know, net worth is not income, right? Is, nor, nor is it tax that way. If you took, you know, said, Rodrigo, what is all your net worth? Well, you're gonna take your business assets into account, everything that's into account. That's if you sold everything. Right. You know, uh, Elon, I don't I don't know what's in Elon Musk's, um, you know, uh, bank account, but 
it's not three hundred eighty billion dollars, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it becomes a frustrating conversation when you talk to people that don't understand taxation and especially corporate taxation and how you can legally use the tax law to your advantage when you have a company. Um, It it was, it's set up that way. You know what I'm saying? mm -hmm. Yeah, it absolutely is. And maybe that's, I'm not saying it's right or wrong and, you know, come with different ideas for taxation. I mean, and, and listen, I do, if we're talking about taxation, you could say, well, the, the amount of tax on, our income is absurd. Uh, that I'm a hundred percent behind and we should have better ability to control where our tax money is going. Uh, cause you think about taxation. I mean, if you're at 40% tax, bust your butt, they take 40%. Then you go and buy something you got to pay in, in Allegheny County, 7% on what you just bought. It's insane. Yeah. It's, 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 it's insane. And then we have potholes everywhere. So I'm not sure where that money's going. But um, that's why, yeah, definitely understanding, you know, the laws and, and how to depreciate your properties properly, you know, mm-hmm. so you can yep. like, uh, you can accelerate the depreciation of some of the property to give you more of a tax write off as necessary. I mean, it's not illegal. It's it is 100 percent legal. That's how it's yeah. done. You know? That's how it's done. That's yeah. how people with money do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they if stay. they allow you to do it. No, I'm not saying don't don't break the law. <laughs> don't break the law. Obviously, we're saying. You know, I'm saying, I'm saying, you know, do not break the law. Figure out what the law is, and then do accordingly. And play the game because it's, it's a game. It's already set up for you. All you have to do is just kind of understand it. Yeah, they're not going to come to you and say, "Hey, by the way, you paid us too much money, Rod." Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. you should do this. You you should write this off, Rodrigo. They're not going to do that. You got to learn it yourself. Yeah. Um, Even yeah. a lot of the accountants, you know, they don't they don't tell you the stuff. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know. So. Well, most, most accountants, I will say, you know, and not all of them, there are some good accountants out there, but most are, you'd be better in the same spot if you just hired somebody from H&R Block to file your taxes. That's all they're doing. You know, there are some good ones out there. You got to find them yourself, but, uh, you know, that's important, man. Having a good relationship with, uh, with your bookkeeping and accounting people. I mean, that's super important to grow a business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to keep you safe and, and make sure you're not filing things incorrectly. Yeah, because you don't want to go. And now they what eighty seven thousand new IRS agents. Oh, man, <laughs> how many are armed and are coming to your door with? Gu- I'm kidding. They're not going to come to your door with guns, but uh, it's it's wild. It's a wild time. I mean, I look at this and I feel you know for everybody, but the middle class. It's just become so difficult for anybody to get ahead. You know, yeah, it doesn't really there's a level of income that you could make if you're working a regular job to try to really get ahead. It's, it's become very, very difficult. And it's a shame. You know, I wish that, uh, state governments would, would do more for our entrepreneurs. I learned the hard way when I started my business, my thought, cause I'm, I'm an idiot. I was like, Hey, if I don't work, you know what they'll do? They'll pay me if I don't work. Right. Like a thousand bucks a month or something. Whatever, you know, and when you, you know, a thousand bucks a month, I don't know how much it was, but they paid you some sort of percentage of a salary up to a certain amount. I don't know if I don't work. So I thought, okay, well, obviously if I don't, but if I start a company, they would give me, they would at least give me that same amount of money to try to build something. And they're like, nope, you are now employed. I'm like, but I'm not really employed. I started, I just, I filed paperwork to say I started a company and they're like, no. And I'm like, I, uh, well, you guys should do that. I mean, you should help people create things. 
you know, and if you're going to fund, fund me to sit on the couch and pretend like I went out and looked for a job uh, every few weeks, like you should help fund people. Doesn't have to be me, forget me, but somebody that has a business plan that saying, here's what I want to create. Can, will you help me do this just so I can survive in the meantime? That seems like a reasonable like, use of taxation, help people become better. That, that seems good to me. Um, but unfortunately, fortunately, we don't have that. Actually, some states, I think, do, not Pennsylvania. But what are you going to do? There's a lot of work to look for those grants and all that stuff. There's stuff out there, you know? Yeah, there's grants. Grants are tough. That's a tough one. Job, um, so going back to you, you start out, what's the, what was the first thing you did to start Lime Design? Did you get a 3D printer out of your house or did you release yeah. a space? Let me go back a little bit, man. So yeah, we, we, I was at, okay, I went to West Virginia University for two years and then um, I had, I, I moved, I moved down to Florida. I went to FIU for two years. So I've been, to, that's like four colleges in, in like five or seven years. I don't even know. Man. Right. So, and I'm, and so I was do, taking more business classes there and taking some Spanish classes as well. And, but I still, you know, and, and also taking, I, I was doing a lot of, I did photography and I did another ceramic class there. And those, I, I don't know, I, from there, then, um, is after after that after I was at FIU was when I was walking around Pittsburgh and I saw that when I came back down to Florida I was like well I really want to do design I want to be a designer I'm going to be a designer um, but I was like if I ask my dad to pay for this there's a high chance that I'm not going to give it 100 uh, percent you know I'm just kind of looking at it based on my past <laughs> my past <laughs> efforts you know what I'm saying like just having a conversation with myself right. And I'm like, man, Rodrigo, if you're really going to do this, man, like, you're just going to have to do it, man. Just, I went out and I got the loan and knowing that my parents would, they would pay for it, man. You know, right? they want their first son to be successful. You know what I'm saying? They don't of course. They pay. So, but I knew, I knew, man, that if I took their money, that I, it just, I wouldn't get the same experience out of it. And I think when you pay for something yourself, your the value of it is so much more, man. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm so glad looking back now that I didn't take their money because I know they would have paid for it, you know? Right. And um, so, yeah, I took a loan out, figured it out. I think it was like 30 or 40 K that I took out to take three years at the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale. And um, after that, I, uh, I, you know, I was so worried about getting a job, man, that I didn't even take like time off. I just went right into a job right away. My parents said they were going to pay me, you know, I, they promised me a trip to Europe, if, you know, after finishing school and this and that. And I was like, man, I don't, I'm just going to go to work. Uh, afraid of not getting a job, you know, yep. just eager to work, you know, and I found a position here in Hollywood, Florida, worked with these two NASA engineers, brilliant guys um, for five years designing like industrial equipment where I really learned my software as well, like SolidWorks. I really learned that really ins and outs of it. And then um, I found a dream job after that, working for a company that designs uh, hand tools for uh, that was things that were sold at like Home Depot and Lowe's. So everything from screwdrivers, flashlights, measuring tapes, mechanics tools. And because I was so hands-on before, like it just was like a really cool, perfect hand, you know, cool job for us, for me um, to get into and um, just be doing stuff that I knew about. I knew about tools. I had a lot of tools and I enjoyed that stuff, you know. And then um, um, I worked for an uh, injection molding company for about a year as the head designer and uh, 
really focused on learning the, the ins and outs of injection molding. So how to make plastic parts um, and all the details involved in that for manufacturing. And then, uh, you know, this guy had made an offer to me as a partnership offer, but, you know, I knew that I knew enough about doing accounting that if I partnered with him, like I wouldn't be able to like look at his books. He can hide whatever he wants in his books. So I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, why am I going to bring all my clients and all this stuff to this guy when I'm not even going to be able to like really know what's going on? I was like, I might as well just start my own thing. Yep. So it's kind of when it started, man. And, um, but the real trigger was this guy I know by the name of Zach Silvers. He was an inventor and he came to me with like an electrical magnetic plug idea, right? Um, basically he had two magnets welded to a, a positive and a negative terminal and mm -hmm. same on the other side. He's like, Hey man, what, what if we could just make the plugs just bang, like stick together and, and pass electricity through the magnets, right? I mean, it was a very rough idea. And, you know, you can't run electricity through magnets because uh, it ends up messing up the power of the magnet because heat destroys magnets. So, oh, okay. but the idea in itself was very good. And we took that idea and developed it further. We got about $100,000 in funding. And, man, when I developed this idea with this guy, I, in my mind, I'm like, man, I should be working for myself. This project yeah. is so complicated. If I'm able to do this, imagine what else I can do if I control my time more, right? And um, that's kind of where Lime Design grew, man. And um, I, you know, it was the summer of 2015. This guy, Zach, um, he had a live-work apartment, and I rented out his bottom, uh, uh, the bottom of his uh, house, which was a set up as an office. And I ran out of that off. I ran the business from that office for two years. And then purchased uh, my first studio in um, um, in Hollywood off of 95, which was a 1,200 square foot like standalone building. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it took me four years. We, we, we were there for four years and then I uh, went from 1,250 uh, square feet to 6,000 square feet. And um, that's so that's yeah, that's where we're at right now and really starting to, to think about the next steps. Right. What's the next thing? And definitely for me, it's going to be. Um, working with manufacturing, figuring out how to be involved more in that, more made in the USA product, uh, shipping distribution, um, and creating like a place where people can create content and just trying to figure out how to help people make and sell their ideas. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's a fantastic um, goal, uh, you know, because there are, as you, well, you know, every, so many people that have ideas, they just don't have the outlet to, mm -hmm. to express them. Yeah. Uh, whether that's physically or, you know, uh, or just a service um, to be able to do. Now, are you comfortable talking about how the the process works, uh, you know, as a from a client, you know, and, 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 and pricing how you guys make money and how, how that whole, sure. uh, you know, if I if I if I have an idea and I bring that to you, I hear about you guys through TikTok mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, what what happens? Do I have to pay you guys? Do you take a percentage of of potential royalties? A little bit of both. Uh, I've, I've done royalties. I mean, I've done like a percentage in the past, but I don't typically do partnerships because it takes a long time to take an idea and mm -hmm. develop it and market it, and it, it's it's not my business model. My business model is to basically we get paid. We're hired ninjas to develop and improve your ideas, turn it into a manufacturable product. And help you market it and get it in, you know, in, in front of people. So we're, we're, it's basically we do pay as you go. Okay. So I come, I say, 
Rodrigo, I've got this idea for this new mousetrap. Here's, and I'm sure the pricing is different depending on what, yep. what that looks like and the amount of hours that need to go into in materials, so forth and so on. But let's, I, I don't have any idea what cost, but let's just say, we say, hey, this is going to cost 10, 10 grand to do. So this In this industry, it's very difficult to like properly quote things like that. Yeah. Because unless I actually have the specs of what you want, how big is it? How many pieces is it going to be? How many prototypes to, rounds are we going through? You know, am I doing the packaging design for you? Am I also doing the branding design? Am I going to do the animation for you? So it's very difficult to put an exact price on something. Um, what I can say easily is that most of the clients we work with have a budget somewhere of 20, 30 K to get started. Okay. And, you know, ideally the client has a, a firm grasp that, look, if you're trying to create a product, bring it into the world over the course of a year or two, you're going to have an expense of roughly hundred to two fifty K plus depending on the complexity of your project. If you're designing a car, you're going to need millions of dollars, right? Yes. And if you're designing, I don't know, um, a wallet or whatever it is, and you know, you can probably get away with 50 K, but it, it's very, every project is so unique. And every client is so unique because some people get, like to get involved more than others. So it's, it's, you know, it's difficult to give an exact price. Of course. But I have been working on tools actually to help work with my clients and, you know, so they can see what it looks like if you do something one way versus another, right? Like when you say, so like a, more like a CAD thing or where? Um, more like a, a pricing tool so that they can get okay understanding of what each of the services roughly cost, right? Yeah. So that you can put together your a la carte, you know, we, we do packages and then you can add like, for plans, right? For development plans. And then also you can all a la carte, whatever service um, you'd like to add in there, whether it's, uh, you know, helping with patents or, um, you know, uh, animation okay. or these other things can, can be added in. So I can come to you. So let's say it's a quarter million dollars just for my mouse trap. So I say, here's my, here's my idea. I sketch it out. Maybe I even went a little bit far, further and created a clay model of, I, you know, I don't know what I'm uh, talking about, but I bring it to you. I say, I got about a quarter million dollars. I want, I really think this thing's going to work. You guys um, create the prototype. Maybe you have to create different variations of that prototype. Is there an yeah. yeah. average amount of iterations that we need before we get the final, you know, is it two, three, 10? I don't, you know. I normally two, try to keep it to three. Three, okay. But it is, you know, every, different projects, you know, if it's more complicated, you might need more, right? Right. It all depends on the complexity of what you're doing. Uh, but I try to keep it to one or two draft versions. Draft prototyping meaning that look, it's it's to get the overall feel of what you're doing. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be the perfect material. It's not going to be the perfect color. The goal is to understand is the part working the way we want it to work. Is it you know if you're doing a handle for a knife, for example, you want to make sure it feels good in your hand. That you know for something like that, when you're dealing with ergonomics and and um, complex surfacing. You might need more. You might need seven or ten iterations to get it okay. perfect. Right. You know, uh, typically, you know, I started my, uh, you know, I've, I've refined my process for small inventors. Okay, good. That don't have that budget. You know, that typically don't have a hundred to two fifty. That's kind of how I've cut my teeth is learning how. You know, and I think if look, if somebody gives me a hundred thousand, I can I can design a lot of stuff. Maybe. Now, if you give me ten thousand, try to do the same thing. 
that's what I've been doing for the last, you know, say five years. <laughs> so I've really refined my process down. Well, that's good. I mean, because I know, you know, as as a potential inventor, that if I come to you, you're not just fly, flying by the seat of your pants saying, well, maybe it's a, it could be 10,000 to 100,000. That's a big gap. You know, if you're like, hey, it could be 10 to 20, depending on what we want to do here, maybe I can get my head around that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and I'm sure now I would imagine that you're also, and I, I know nothing about prototyping, but if I came to you to, you know, for a huge, uh, you know, I'm thinking of a mechanical, you know, uh, part mm -hmm. that you, that there's a limit to these machines or what you're capable of from a yeah. sizing standpoint. Yes. Yeah. Is there, you know, is that you, before you said six by six by six as an example for something, um, right. what's, what's the biggest you guys can go or uh, again, I don't even know if I'm asking the right question, but yeah, yeah no, that is the right question because different machines, you know, in-house what we can do. Okay. Every machine has a different size that it can make. Right. I have about, I should have given you a tour of the place so you can get a better understanding <laughs> of, what, of what's what, but typically the smaller machines, you're talking about an eight by eight by eight cube. Mm -hmm. times 10 by 10 by 10 roughly um some of the machines are six by six by six cube um this one i don't know if you can see this yeah one back that here. blue that blue one yeah. yeah that's like a 15 inch by 15 cube it's a 15 inch cubes on this oh. one um but there are machines that can do three foot by three by two or either three by three by two or three by two by two and but that machine is like a, that's a 100k machine mm -hmm. plus maintenance plus all the other stuff that comes with that um, it is the next machine for me is going to be like a, a larger machine, um, but it comes with a lot of complexities as well because you need to have three phase power. So I have to get the city to drop more power to the building and then run that wire all the way down. You know what I'm saying? Oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, didn't think about that. Yep. A lot of this machinery is not, well, some of this machinery is not, you know, single, like 110, you know. Really? Okay. All the, like the, the really uh, higher professional stuff starts getting into that two phase for these bigger machines. Um, so is there, I you mean, said, I let me go back to real, real quick. Like yeah. we're talking about sizing. So, and that's why it's so important also to have other types of machinery, not just 3d printers, uh, CNC machinery. You can make very large parts, right. In comparison to what you can do on a 3d printer. Um, so I have a plasma machine for cutting a plasma cutter for cutting, uh, like metals, like steel, aluminum, whatever, up to one inch thick. Um, we got a plasma cut, uh, excuse me, a laser cutter, uh, 90 watt in my office. And that's for cutting um, wood up to like quarter inch, uh, plexiglass and similar plastics up to an inch. Also does soft goods, soft materials such as neoprene, cloth, um, you know, paper. We use it for, car uh, for cutting and doing our packaging as well. So those machines are much larger. Like I, so I have a two foot by four foot um, CNC machine. So it's a prototype CNC machine. It's not a full size, um, but that's the next step would be to have a place where I have my my larger equipment put into. So a more um, a more full size, right? Because right now I have everything in prototype size, basically. Okay. My, my, for my machinery. Okay. So I come in, I'd say mousetrap's easy enough because mousetrap's probably small. Yeah. You can make all the little parts that you need right there. We prototype it out. We get a final prototype. Yep. I say, perfect, man. You know, I mean, and I would have to imagine just dealing with 
customers myself that it's never, you know, what they tell you they want is never probably really what they want. And they're, if they're involved, then they're like, wait, no, we need to change this. We did, you know, you're going, man, it's yep. fine the way it is, but okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Now I just want to charge you back to 250,000 because you're a pain in my ass. But <laughs> look, at the end of the goal, at the end of the day, my goal is to help get the client what he's looking to create. Of course, of course. I'm going to give him my advice. If I say, hey, look, man, it's perfect. What are you doing? Don't, don't mess with it. Don't stir it anymore. It's already perfect, man. Or, or this is a perfect, what we call it an MVP, minimum viable product, right? Because mm-hmm. a product could be just like a, a graphic image, just like anything else, could be manipulated over and over and over and over. And you get to a certain point where you're not really refining anymore. You're just kind of, you know, you're not really improving the product. You're just wasting time and money at some point. Because the product that you had before is good enough to sell. And let let there be a version two. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because really, and that's something I think that sometimes um, entrepreneurs or inventors get stuck on. They want to make those things so perfect that they're not really focusing on what they need to focus, which is how do I make sure that a thousand people buy this? Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Like, whether, whether it's, you know, half inch longer or half inch shorter, is it really going to make that much of a difference, right? So... The goal should be to come up with a minimum viable product and then get it out in the market as fast as possible, prove that people want it, and then figure out how to scale up. So how's that? So if I, again, we'll go back to the stupid mousetrap that I keep, because I couldn't think of anything else. Yeah. I uh, got you. We got the, the MVP, right? We got yep. that. We got the MVP. Now I have that in my hand. Maybe we did some marketing materials, whatever. Now I take that to... Now I have got to go have to find a manufacturer. And we help you with that. So you help us with yeah, that. Called, we call it sourcing assistance, basically. So our, the goal is to have a package, a tech pack, right, that has your blueprints and the instructions that are necessary for somebody to, uh, for a manufacturer to look at it and say, okay, it's these five parts. It's, this is the materials. These are the colors. Okay, that's going to cost you 20000 in tooling and then $5 per mousetrap. And then a dollar for the box that it goes in. So gotcha. what we do is then we get apples to apples quotes from multiple partners that we've manufactured with to um, to be able to see who's the best um, you know manufacturer for you for you right now, right? Right. So I, I wanted to get however many units. I say, okay, here's a quote for a thousand units, ten thousand units, hundred thousand units. Yep. I can't afford a hundred thousand units right now. Let's go with ten thousand units at three dollars, right? Yep. All in. And then I say, okay, I got my three dollars. I know that's my hard cost. I need to mark this up to six dollars. Uh you know, and well, then I'm gonna make a after shipping and everything else I gotta deal with, I'm gonna make two bucks um or a dollar per 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 unit. And then then we look for setting up an Amazon, trying to get board out there and the the next phase begins. Um, that's awesome. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic service. Um, how do, how does somebody that might be listening, how do they get in touch with you? What's that, what's that process look like? So typically when we, I mean, we, 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 on our website, we have a non-disclosure agreement. It's a mutual non-disclosure agreement. I mean, we can have conversations beforehand, but I typically don't want to talk about details of your product until we've signed a non-disclosure so that, uh, which is a very standard document. It, it basically just says that what we talk about is confidential, right? So you guys can't go somewhere. You can't steal that product. Correct. Not that you want to, but yeah. you know, people are probably worried about that. I would imagine people don't yep. know who they're talking to. They think you're going to steal it. And 
so that's that's good. That's a great first step. That's yeah. smart. Yep. And something, so I, something I'd like to say to all the people out there that listen, man, is uh, you can't be too afraid of somebody taking your idea because they're also never going to, right? You can't trust a few people to bring your idea forward. It's going to die in your mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Can, and also, I want to say that it's not, it's not that easy to just, look, it's easy to copy an idea, but to actually go through the process of creating a company, and building the products and making the marketing and all that stuff is not easy. So you don't really need to worry so much about people taking your idea should focus on your product, your brand, and and patenting and protecting it with as much as you can realist reasonably afford to do so with. You know? Yeah. But somebody can always come out and copy you, man. You yeah. Know? It happens all the time. Yeah. So you gotta be able to understand that and know, hey, you know, try to get out there as fast as you can, sell as much as you can right away. And then when those comp when, when those uh um you know hurdles get in the way, then you gotta figure out the best way to Either you give them a cease and desist or, you know, get a lawyer on it, whatever, you know. And you guys have those kind of contacts that can help with things. If something, if I don't know where to start and I say, I have this idea for this stupid mousetrap that's called stupid mousetrap. And I want to trademark stupid mousetrap, but I I don't really know how the trademarking laws work. Um, I want to patent my, you know, this, can you guys, do you guys help with all of that? Or is that before they come to you for prototyping that they want to have that stuff taken care of. No, we can help as well. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. Right. I'm of course. Connected with many IP attorneys and professionals, you know, yeah. so, so you can act as a, you know, as a referral source to help people yeah. that don't know, you know, across pretty much all across the board until the manufacturing, but you're also helping getting them touched with manufacturers. Um, fantastic, man. And if they so need, they, where I help with the, you know, I, I get involved um, with the, patent illustrations, right? Showing how the product works. There's, and then also on the trademark side, you know, creating the, what you're trademarking, right? Like the logo or the icon um, of the logo. I need your help. I need, I, here's, well, we talk, but I have this stupid show, the Wizblier, right? That I created mm -hmm. and I went and they go, well, you need a logo. I'm like, I'm not doing a logo. I figure, okay, eventually I'll talk to somebody smarter than me, more creative than me, that can do some kind of podcast logo. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just joking. But, yeah. um, you know, go, oh, now I need to trademark it and patent it. And you know, I'm just kidding. You would want to do that, actually. I mean, yeah. You would want to trademark it, probably. If you go through the trouble of making something like that, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you saw it, but it's just, I, I started this on Spotify's. Uh, has a service called Anchor FM that you can, you know, if anybody wants to start a podcast, it's super easy. Uh, you, you know, the overhead is not that much. It's easy. Enter and I, I think everybody should start a podcast uh, just because more people need to get their voices out there, whether you agree with them or not. I like people talking, but yeah. they go, here's a back black background. And I type the whiz dot, 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 because I couldn't come up with a better name. Um, but uh yeah, so I need help. Um, I can help you, man. Uh, yeah, thanks, brother. Man. Thanks, brother. Um, yeah, maybe uh, you can, uh, we can share it on the show, and maybe we can uh, kind of use it as an experience. And you know, we normally come up with two to three different designs first, and then we can see kind of what the audience thinks. You can get kind of some engagement with them around that as well, if you like. Yeah, that'd be fun. I don't know. Uh, I think it'd be cool. But yeah. um, so they, so if somebody's out there listening, they have an idea. 
they go to, is it limedesign.com? So info at limecreativedesign.com. Limecreativedesign.com. That's the email. But yeah, limecreativedesign.com. Limecreativedesign.com. They can find you TikTok. They can find you Instagram. They can find you everywhere. Yeah, at limedesign3d is our our, uh, social. Okay. Because at limedesign3d. Yep. Okay. I wrote, I just wrote that down. Cool. Hey man, well, dude, it's been great catching up with you where it's an hour, 35 minutes. It feels like 10 minutes. Uh, fantastic. So good to see you. And when you're coming to Pittsburgh, let me, I don't know if you drink beer, but let me buy you a beer either way. Yeah, man. Sounds good. Definitely. I, I should be there within the next 30 days or so. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, like I was saying, man, I'm actively looking for my next property and I, and I want to really grow in Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm looking to make, by the way, if anybody's listening, I'm looking to make, um, you know, to, to meet IP attorneys in Pittsburgh. So if anybody knows of any, I'd greatly appreciate the an introduction um, as I'm looking to make partnerships up there and, and really be there in a big way. Yeah, yeah. And I'll get you some connections that we talked about before that might at least lead to somewhere. Who knows? But uh, yeah, we'll look at that. Uh, man, great, great catching up with you. I'm loving that you're doing great. Keep yeah. growing that thing, man. It's so, so exciting. Thank you, man. I appreciate um, you know being my guest, uh, asking me to be a guest on your show, man, uh, on, your, on the podcast. I really appreciate it, man. Um, yeah. It's one of the first ones that I've I've done it a couple times, but um, this was probably my favorite one. And I think I might bring you. I might invite you to our uh, once we get ours going, man. Gonna- All right, I'd love to come. That'd be fun. Awesome. It'd be and fun. I want, and I want to learn more about uh, the other things that you do as well. You know, we can talk about it offline. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it offline. Yeah, well, when we get that beer together, we'll Sounds shoot good. the shit. Sounds perfect. All right, right, brother. Good to see you. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. Have fun out there. Take care. Take it easy, man. Be well. See you. Thanks.